Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in once again. We had a great conversation with Cody from Tailored Coaching Method. Uh, He shared his experience on how he quit his job at a gym and how he grew his online business. And we talked about coaching, training, and nutrition. So enjoy. So tell us your story, man. Yeah, so, um, I mean, in a nutshell, uh, I grew up kind of like the – the funny chubby kid, I guess. Like I just, I never trained. I I, I played soccer a little bit and I skateboarded, but I never trained. Uh, was like a D student, never got good grades. And it wasn't until after high school, I got on all this, but like my whole high school career was like basically just partying and just, just having fun, not caring about anything. I had no drive. Uh, I started getting a little bit more into soccer. I was still a little overweight, but soccer helped me kind of maintain that. And I was pretty good at soccer. So junior year I made varsity, was playing about halfway through the season. I tore my meniscus. So I was out, had surgery, gained some weight, came back senior year, lost a little bit of that weight and started playing again. Uh, made captain of varsity senior year, tore my ACL, same knee preseason. So that at that point, I'm like, okay, here's round two, right? And then I graduate high school and I gained more weight because I, I mean, when you graduate and you're not going right to college, you kind of just party and chill, you know? So I'm at a point where I'm overweight. I'm not happy. I have no drive poor grades, going to community college for something that I don't love. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And I actually just, and it sounds crazy, but I, I literally remember the exact room I was in and everything. And I looked in the mirror, um, butt ass naked after the shower. <laughs> and uh, as, as vivid as that can be for people listening. And I was like, I hate what I see. Like, what am I doing? Like I'm 18 years old. I graduated high school at 17. I just turned 18 years old. I'm overweight. I have no drive. I can't do a pull up to save my life. Don't want to, I couldn't run a mile, you know, like just horrible shape now. So I had this like moment of like, screw it. I'm done partying. I'm done eating all this bullshit. And I cut out a bunch of junk. I cut out, I just went cold Turkey, honestly. And I started training and I just got in the gym and I ended up losing like 50 ish pounds. And for the first time in my life, saw my abs, but it was one of those things where when you, when you're growing up, you start getting into it and you start reading like muscle mags you expect to lose weight and look like the guy on the cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I lost a bunch of weight doing like boot camps and low carb diets and just looked skinny fat. And I was like, this is not what I thought it was going to look like. <laughs> so then I kind of shifted gears and I got really into bodybuilding and training and, and dieting. And, and it kind of was just a snowball effect. And I, I ended up putting on a bunch of muscle. Um, and I switched my degree kind of on a whim actually, because <laughs> at the time, and I, and I promise I won't make this too long, but at the time, I was still not in great shape, and I didn't know a ton, but I had sat in because this guy who runs the fitness program at the school I was going to was like, hey, you should come to our class. I think you'd enjoy it because I was in the gym trying to figure shit out, and he was basically like, just come through, and, and I didn't like class I was in, so I skipped class, went, went to his class, and it was called functional movement, and when I sat there and watched what they were doing and the movement patterns they were talking about, and they were doing some FMS screening and stuff, I was like this is insane. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. And so I went home and told my parents, like, yo, I want to change my degree and stuff. And of course they said, no, I mean, I was still a chubby 18 year old that said I was going to be a personal trainer. Now they're like, you just started working out like two months ago. No, you're not changing degree, not paying for that. 
so naturally because my dad's name is uh, his initials are VJM and his signature is VJ McBroom, minor CJ McBroom. I just changed my signature has always been a C instead of V. So I forged his signature and I changed my degrees and now he's happy because obviously it worked out pretty well, but I, I changed my degree. I went all in on it. And I mean, that was just like a, it, it just ended up catapulting me into the industry because my little did I know the teacher that ran the program was good friends with Gray Cook, Dan John, Michael mm-hmm. Boyle, Charlie Weingroff, like some of the just legends of the day. Um, and he knew everybody. I mean, he, and he trained like NFL players, uh, rowers, elite uh, Olympic swimmers. Like I had no idea. And he introduced me to all these people. And then I ended up interning for a guy named Luca Hosvar here in Seattle who owned a functional gym, um, shot it under him, trained at his gym, trained clients six days a week for six years, then started my online business uh, once I had my was I found out I was gonna have a daughter and that just kind of catapulted and it went from being a blog to like an online coaching business to I run a team of six other coaches and three other employees and we have a warehouse with a full gym a studio like it's just been kind of crazy man it's been a it's a, been a wild nine years of just honestly like going back to what we were talking about before we hit cord doing the same thing mm-hmm. like literally here's my here's my system I'm gonna create free content I'm gonna give value and I'm just going to wait a decade. <laughs> like, and it's just been just doing it week after week after week. And, and you know, um, it took a lot of patience, but it's, it's, it's worked out pretty well. So that's, and that's, I mean, that's what I do today. I still coach people, um, but I also run the company. So I'm a marketer. I'm a content creator. Um, I'm a team leader to all the nutritionists and trainers that I have on my staff and so on and so forth. So when and why did you decide to stop working at the gym you worked for six years to grow your online business? Like how, how did it happen? Yeah. So I, I was in a weird position. Like I always wanted, in fact, when I, when I interviewed for the internship, he asked me what my long-term plan was. And I actually told him my long-term plan was to start an online business. So I told him at the time I was following people like uh, Jay Frugia and Nate Green and John Brardy, and they were doing some online like blogging. And I was like, how do these guys make a living? They just blog all the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, but I wanted to do it. So I told him, I was like, oh, I'm gonna start a blog. He's like, oh, how are you gonna make money? I was like, the blog. And he's like, how do, how do blogs make money? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. And, and so his response was train people every day for five years. And then I think you have the right to do it. I was like, all right. So I did. And I wrote every week on my blog for the whole time I was training people. And it got to a point about like four or five years in that I was like, that idea of the online thing started popping back in. Cause I got some people that were following my blog and they lived in New York. And one of them was uh, like a low time, like a Broadway actress. And she was like, Hey, like I need somebody to do my programming. And I was like, Oh, sorry, I'm in Seattle. She's like, oh, that's okay. I'll PayPal you. And I was like, okay, sweet. Did that. And then I got another one. I was like, this might actually work if I understand how to like scale it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was just at a position where I was in the gym and you know, I'm working on my online business, trying to build that from, 5 a.m. till 12 p.m. noon, I work out and then I go to the gym and I train people from three till eight or 9 p.m. And then I go home, rinse and repeat. And I was like, this isn't sustainable, but I got to build this business. So I was doing it for a couple years, just grinding. And then me and my wife found out we were going to have a daughter. And that's when I was like, now's the time. So Mm -hmm. I I literally went in that week. and was like, I'm in, I got to make a move. Uh, It's now or never sink or swim. And he, he agreed with it. He supported it, uh, handed off every single one of my clients that I had in the gym to the other trainers at the gym and just went all in on my online business. And at that time I didn't, I, I didn't have a big online business. So, um, it was scary, especially with the daughter on the way. But for me, like putting my back against the wall, like that's what gave me the drive to be like, I'm going to make this happen. 
And mm-hmm. for you, like my wife, my daughter come in and she believed me. So I was like, I have to, I, like, I, yeah. I literally had to, like, there's no other option. Um, but that was like the moment that I just shifted gears. And that was November, 2017, I want to say. So about three and a half years ago, three years ago. And it was a small business back then. And obviously we're, we're a pretty big mm-hmm. company now. What type of moves did you make? Cause you mentioned that you, you talked to your old boss saying, Hey, this is it. I got to make some moves here. And now you recently mentioned that you had six people under you. That's a huge turnaround. So what are the type of moves did you make? Yeah. So I think it was, I mean, at first, to be honest with you, I was like, okay, what's, what's working for me right now that I have more time to do at a higher quality and a higher frequency now that I don't have to go to the gym every day. And the reality was, is like, you know, my blogs were still doing good. People loved me doing like Facebook and Instagram lives. I already had a podcast. Um, we had just started a podcast that was working and, uh, Instagram posts. So I was like posting every other day. I was doing like a podcast a week. Um, I was doing a couple newsletters a week, but I was like, I'm going to do a newsletter seven days a week. I'm going to write an email newsletter every single day. I'm going to write a blog every single week. I'm going to do three podcasts a week instead of one. Um, now we do four and I'm going to start doing YouTube videos and then I'm going to do Instagram posts. Every day. It was just literally like at one point I was like, I'm going to do two posts today. I don't care. Like I have so much to say. I'm just going to keep cranking out content and just teaching people and really never ask for anything returned. There was never any sales pitch. It was like, here, just take it, just take it, just take it. Cause in my mind I was like, the more I give, the more people are going to see yeah. what I'm doing. And at some point in time when they do need help, I'm going to be the first person they think of and I'm going to be able to help them. Um, so that was my plan. It wasn't much of a plan. Honestly, it was just like, okay, here's what I'm doing. I can double down and do way more of all of it now. Cause I have more time to do it. And it honestly, and I think one of the biggest things too, though, and this isn't something that you can put a, like a, a step or a hack on. I was marketing two brands. I was marketing my blog that wasn't a really big online business yet. And then I was marketing the gym. You know, I was doing content for them and I was doing content for me. And then on my profile, it was like a mix of both. And it's like, well, what are you? Are you, Mm -hmm. are you training people for them in person? Are you online coach doing nutrition for your own? Like, what are you doing? And and I had to kind of, once I made the shift, it went from being like 50, 50 to a hundred percent of my shit. And I think that really resonated with people because it was really clear of who I am, what my message is and what the mission is, you know, and I think that's what really solidified it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's important to like, quote unquote, niche down and, and tell people what your, what your expertise is in because people want the best, right? And they don't want somebody that dabbles in a hundred different things. They want their money to go to the best product on the market, which would be mm-hmm. somebody that niches down into one specific thing they're looking for. Yeah. I think, uh, John Brardy wrote a book recently. Um, I think it's called game changers or changing the game or something. Mm-hmm. Um, really good book, but it's about like coaching and stuff like that. And, and, and John Brardy, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but he's the owner of precision nutrition. Well, he sold it. So he used to be the owner, um, really smart guy. And he talks about this in there too, is actually being a generalist. So to like kind of combat what you just said, Really? Because I agree with what you said, but I think a lot of a lot of people get carried away with the whole niching thing, right? They think okay. like I have to niche down so hard that I'm the only trainer who works with 35 year old golfers who are overweight and need to reverse <laughs> diet, but they also have M- elbow tendonitis, and it's like, well, like okay, I get you are the only guy that does that. <laughs> well done, but that's not going to get you very far, right? So for me, I was like, okay, well, how do I niche and make it very, very clear what I do well? while still being able to work with young, old women, men, athletes, gen pop, bodybuilder, like everybody. And uh, what I 
came up with was kind of this like, and this is the tagline on our website. Uh, we help average individuals understand advanced strategies to achieve above average results. So we take gen pop people and we make them coaches. We make them their own coaches. We teach them the science. We give them advanced strategies. We do use periodization. Everybody who works with us does track macros and has spreadsheets of data, but we simplify it so they understand how to use the science instead of letting it overwhelm them. So now people come to us who are like, hey, it, it doesn't matter who you are as long as you want to understand the science and you want to get as, the best results possible and you're committed to doing the work then it's a win. So like for me, it was like, I need to start doubling down on teaching that science, right? Mm -hmm. Because it applies to everybody. Cause I didn't want to limit myself. I love working with, I work with so many different people. I didn't want to limit to like, I couldn't pick one type of person yeah. that I love working with most, you know? Yeah, I agree. And then just back to what you're saying is like, yeah, you can't niche down to the point where there's no population anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> you need to have somebody to sell to. And I was just curious what that onboarding process looks like. Uh, there's a lot of things in the fitness industry that are, it's good to know about, but you know, if you throw it to throw it all at once, people might get shook. So what, what is the first step that you teach your clients? Uh, you'll hear me say this a lot. It depends. Um, yeah. It depends on the client, you know, where, where are they starting from? Cause we get people, I mean, we, we coach registered dietitians. Uh, we coach bodybuilders. We coach a teacher, you know, the, the first step for a teacher is much different than a registered dietitian. You know, they're two completely different people. Um, so I think it, I think it truly depends now, like as far as getting them on board, it, there's a, there's an application process to work with us. So there's kind of like this vetting process. And then once they're connected with a the coach, there's like a, a very in-depth online assessment. So if you are training to like, how do you move? But if it's just nutrition, like what does your diet look like? Fill out these 30 questions, give us pictures, take your measurements, like do everything between X, Y, Z so that we know who you are, what your stats are, what your lifestyle's like, uh, what you're going to adhere best to, and then what your history looks like, your metabolic history, your training history, your injury history, so on and so forth. And once we have all that, then we can decide like, okay, here's the first step. Now, I would say in the context of, of a wide audience listening to this podcast, I don't know the exact audience listening, that could be, hey, we're going to start by, I want you to hit, you know, like 100 grams of protein a day. Like very simple, not not as much as you need, but just focus on that. Or it's like, Hey, I want you to have like a handful of protein every meal. Or it's like, I just want you to write down what you eat. Like it could be so simplified, but then there's other people where I'm like, Hey, here's your macros. Here's your refeeds, which are going to be taking place every 10 days. And you're going to do two refeed days in a row. Here's your supplementation list. Here's what nutrient timing looks like. And when you're going to have what meals, here's the foundational guidelines for fiber, fruit, sodium, water, like all the fundamentals for health, like it could be super in depth because a lot mm -hmm. of the people that come to us, they want that. So we kind of a process and that's why we're called the tailored coaching method. It's, it's, it's really about tailoring the process down to the individual. Where are they at right now? And where do we want them to be? We have to start them here to get them up there, right? We can't jump them ahead too far. Um, does that make sense? Yep. 100%. Actually, how I find you was I, cause I'm, I would say, obviously, we don't know everything, but I'm pretty well read in everything like nutrition and coaching. And we were talking and I wanted to learn more about reverse dieting. And I literally Googled reverse dieting. And I think it was one of your blogs and it was attached to one of your podcasts. Mm. So about reverse dieting. So my question would be, when do you decide to use reverse dieting with clients? If you were like, not everybody needs to do it, but, and I know it depends on their goals and on the client and their experience, but when would you recommend someone to start dieting. Yeah. Um, I think that it depends. <laughs> it depends on, uh, 
kind of like this is where I like to look into their history. So if somebody comes to me, first thing I'm going to ask them is like, where do you want to be? You know, what's your goal, right? And then after that, it's like, where are you at right now? So if somebody's like, hey, I want to lose weight. And the first thought is like, put them in a deficit. But we look at their food log and they're already in a lower calorie set point than I would put them in if I wanted to put them into a deficit. We're not losing weight right now. I'm sorry. Unless like there's the anomaly, like the one to 5% of people who you put through a reverse diet and they lose weight, which typically is from two different things or three different things. One, they got, you know, the lucky straw. It's just like kind of like a rare, like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they're a hyper responder to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is neat goes up. So a lot of people increase calories. They start walking way more. They start moving more, fidgeting more. And they're like, oh my God, I'm losing weight with more food. And it's like, you're also moving 10 times yeah. more because you have more energy. Um, and then the other time is like when I start a reverse diet and I teach them how to actually measure their food properly, they realize that they weren't actually under eating. They were overeating. And now we actually brought them down a little bit. So mm-hmm. now in the case where, because I get this all the time too, when I first started really having to reverse diet people, it was it was mainly like bikini athletes and CrossFitters and they were coming to me wanting to get leaner, but they were already dieting and they were tracking accurately. And they're like, I've been following this for six months. And I'm like, holy shit, you, you're not losing. You're already eating 1200 calories and you feel like death. Right. And, and you're not even close to your goal. So for people like that, it's like, there's, there's no other route besides to build up your calories, try to healing your metabolism isn't the right word, but trying to just get it working a little bit more efficiently, try to support your hormones a little bit, because when we go into a diet, when we go into a deficit, we are going to increase cortisol stress hormone. We're going to lower thyroid for men. We're going to lower testosterone. Some of the sex hormones for women are going to get out of whack. Uh, and it's, it's not a good combination of things. All those things affect the metabolism. So for us, it's like, okay, well let's increase calories, decrease stress, increase all your sex hormones, increase your metabolism a little bit. And then once we're there for a while, sitting comfortably and you feel good, your biofeedback is on point. Like you're sleeping better. Your stress is lower. You're hitting PRs in the gym again. Um, you're not moody. You're motivated to train. Like all the signals that we're tracking and looking for with the client. Once those ducks are in a row, then we can get back to the diet, right? And try to lose weight again. Now, there's, there's two things with that too, is like a lot of people think that they can reverse diet for, you know, four to six weeks and then get back into a deficit. The reality is, is you need at least half as much time as you were dieting, sometimes just as much time. So if you were dieting for six months, you need at least three months of, of being at maintenance, you know? Um, and the longer that time goes, the worse that ratio is, right? Because if you've been dieting, I've had people come to me, they're like, oh, I've been trying to do this for a year. It's like, holy shit. We're going to maintain for at least six months, but probably a year. And that's a long time for somebody to be like, okay, like I might gain a couple pounds and feel better, quote unquote, you know, like they, they're coming to us to lose weight and we're like, oh, we just want to make you feel good. Um, not what they want to hear, but at the end of the day, the way I try to spin it is, hey, look, like, no, we can't take you to your goal right now, but if we do this, we will actually be able to get you there. If you don't do this, you're just not going to get there. Mm-hmm. And I've had people turn me down and this is where my integrity kind of takes the forefront and I'm, I'm not going to take you on if, if you can't let me do what I need to do. I care too much compared to hurt, hurting somebody, you know, and, and I've had people say no, go somewhere else and then come back and say you were right and they come on board and then they're a client for years. And that is an, an, another reason why, like, I think it took so long for us to grow and then we kind of had this big like rise in the industry, so to speak, because I've always been that way. And I had a lot of people coming back after like, Oh, I've been following your stuff for two years. Oh, I've been reading your stuff for months. You were right. You were right. It is about sustainability. It is about the long term. So, um, but yeah, as far as reverse dieting, I think that's, that's kind of thing is like, 
how low are their calories and then what is their end goal. Um, and I also, I'm a big fan of the, the recovery diet, which 3DMJ kind of started, but it's made for bodybuilders. Uh, bodybuilders get leaner than anybody. So their need to reverse is even greater. So the recovery diet is the idea that instead of me reverse dieting you slowly, like inching calories up. And I think I talked about this in that blog. I'm going to jump you up to what I think uh, maintenance might be right away because I want that biofeedback to, to reverse as fast as possible. And then I might inch you up slowly after that. Um, because we were seeing these people where you would cut them and I've actually had clients where I did this and I, you know, five to 10 grams carbs a week, like just barely bringing them up and they stay shredded, but they add a ton of food, but they still feel like shit as if they were eating nothing. And the reason is because they didn't put any body fat back on their body. Right Mm -hmm. now, if I have a gen pop person who's like, Oh, I just want to, you know, lose 20 pounds and they they have that to lose. I might reverse diet them slow because we didn't go to an extreme where they're shredded. Right. And they have these hormonal issues. Um, but in many times I'm a big fan of kind of taking that initial bump up. Like what I've found is if you're going to gain two pounds from reverse dieting, because we jumped up too quick, you were going to gain that anyway. It just would have taken you six weeks to do it instead of two weeks. I'd rather just get you there. Why wait? Um, maintenance is kind of this moving target, right? It's not like, 2,500. It's uh, 22 to 2,700. And so for me, I'm like, okay, well, if I think the lower end's about 2,200, I'm going to jump to like 2,100. It's a big jump from where we are in the diet, but it still gives me some wiggle room to bring you up higher without adding too quickly. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How long do you think people should maintain a caloric deficit? Because I see it all the time. People are so focused on, oh, I want to lose fat. I want to lose fat. I want to lose fat. They get stuck uh, and they hit a plateau and they reduce calories and we know it's not healthy for their hormones they're gonna feel like shit their training is gonna be like trash so how long do you think it would be smart to maintain a deficit like three months to i know it depends obviously yeah like a ballpark guesstimate my ballpark is usually like and i wouldn't count mini cuts i don't know if you guys are familiar with mini cuts yeah um i think a lot of people think mini cuts are to like lose weight fast, but mini cuts are designed for people bulking. Mm -hmm. So like if you're trying to gain mass and you gain a little too much fat mass, it's like, okay, let's pull back for four to six weeks and just like shave off a layer and then get back to it. Mm -hmm. Um, For actual fat loss phases, I'm in the the realm of like 12 to 24 weeks. And I know that's a big range, but that's about three to six months. Anything longer than six months, even if the person has a lot of weight to lose, I start noticing diet fatigue. And to me, diet fatigue is basically like, Adherence starts lowering, stress starts increasing, performance and stress start going, uh, performance down, stress up, recovery down, um, and I want to get you out of it. So I will use diet breaks to try to mitigate that a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, if I even have somebody who's, they have 70 pounds to lose, we might not get there in six months, mm-hmm. but in six months, even if you're not at your goal, I'm going to take you out of that deficit for four weeks. It's, it's an extended diet break. It's a good little maintenance phase. Um, at least it's mentally refreshing just like, okay, I don't got to diet so hard for a little bit. And then they can get back to it, right? If, if I were to take a weekend off, their adherence would still drop off. It's not enough. Um, so I think it depends. But I think the leaner you are, the shorter that timeline should go. Now, there is an argument to say that, you know, because there's some bodybuilders that prep for 24 weeks and they're not obese. So there is an argument to say, well, like the slower I can lose fat, the longer I can maintain muscle the better I can maintain muscle. So in some cases I will do that. Um, for some people who are really patient and who are like, like if I take a guy through a gain, like I just took a couple guys through like a full six to eight months of just trying to put on size. And now we're going to cut. We're taking a very slow approach and lots of diet breaks because 
we just worked our ass off for eight months trying to build muscle. Like we're going to slow it down and just, we're going to just inch away at the fat loss and keep as much muscle and performance as we can. Whereas if I have a 35 year old mom who could care less about muscle or performance, but really wants to lose weight and only has enough to afford three months coaching, mm-hmm. we got three months, let's get after it. And then I'm going to leave you with an exit strategy to try to figure this out on your own to reverse diet. Right. Um, but yeah, I almost always have it somewhere between that three to six month mark. Would you be able to clarify the difference between a diet break and a refeed? Yeah. So I think, I don't know if there's literal definitions of like where these differ, but I think that for me, a refeed is one to two days. So a single refeed would be 24 hour period. Just more, you basically increase calories to maintenance via carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So if my maintenance is 2,500 and I'm dieting on 2000, I add 500 calories via carbs. Basically it's just refuel your body gives you a little mental break. Um, if, if you're doing it for the psychology effect of it, like just, just trying to psychologically have a deload from, from dieting, I think it's okay to just increase calories and do it with fat and carbs because it gives you more flexibility. It's easier to go out to dinner and, you know, play with macros a little bit. But if somebody's real serious about their physique, I'm just increasing carbs on that day. Um, I would also consider a two day refeed, still a refeed. I wouldn't consider that a diet break yet. It is a break from the diet and you get a little bit more of a physiological effect as far as muscle maintenance and, potentially hormones. Um, it's for a while we thought you did. Now there's come, there was some research that came out recently that kind of showed like, eh, maybe it doesn't really do anything for hormones. It's more of a psychological thing, but I think indirectly it's going to help your physiology because I think if you can relieve your muscles, you can relieve your brain while you're dieting, your hormones are going to take less of a hit because your stress is lower period. Mm-hmm. So it might not directly increase leptin and do all these things, but I still do think it's helping physiologically speaking. Um, but that'd be 48 hours has to be back to back. Can't split those up. I consider a diet break three days or more. So three full days, uh, four full days, five full days, seven full days. Um, I would even consider like, I think after three weeks of length, I start calling it a maintenance block because it's kind of like a block of training, like three to four weeks, you know, um, really a block train could be three to six weeks for a mesocycle. So I usually say like a, a maintenance phase is like three to six weeks long where you're just taking a full break from diet. But I've had people take one full week, two full weeks diet break where they're on vacation or like we've been dieting for six months and I'm, or maybe like four months, but they're starting to feel it. But we still have some weight to lose. And I think we have a couple months in us. Hey, I want you to take two or three weeks off. We're going to get back to it. You know? So um, for me, refeeds are one to two days. Diet breaks are three plus. Earlier, you mentioned that you just brought somebody through a large uh, cycle of getting them as big as possible. And I was just curious between their nutrition and their training, what did that look like? Obviously, yes, it does depend. I'm just curious what the the general principles that you were following when programming for these people. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of like simplicity. I think Mm -hmm. that I think too many people overcomplicate it. You know, um, it's like let's find the bread and butter for you. You know, like what movements feel really good? Like what movements really get your lats firing, really get your chest firing, really get your biceps going, really get your quads working. What squat is best for you? Once we find all these movements, let's stay there. Let's stay there for a solid at least six, but upwards of 12 weeks. Like if you're making progress, don't change the movement because progressive overload is king, right? Um, I think that's like the problem. Like CrossFit was not the best for muscle growth because there's so much variety. Um, but that's why people love it because it's always different. It's a challenge. And I understand that you, ha- you have to be kind of okay with boredom uh, to be a bodybuilder. You know, like I, I mean, shit for me, because I'm in a gaining phase right now, I'm trying to gain weight. And I've, I've been doing the same thing for, I, I did a 14 week cycle of the same exact exercises. And then I wow. finally just changed things up. But I was progressing mm-hmm. every fucking week. So I'm like, 
why would I change it? You know, we went six weeks, took a deload and then six more weeks. And then we're like, finally, I was like, Hey dude, mentally, I just need something different. Cause I don't do my own stuff. I, I hire out because I just, I think it's always better to have somebody else do your stuff. But, um, but for my guys, I, I'm pretty similar. Like I want to do a, a solid, like six to 12 weeks on your bread and butter movements. Um, I prioritize simple movement patterns cause I think people can master technique easier. So I don't want to overcomplicate the movement mm -hmm. uh, and, and I want them to get really good at doing that movement because that's how we're going to get the most out of it. Um, if we complicate it too much or we're doing like, you know, like half kneeling kettlebell press with like a resistance band pulling your elbow this way. Like there's just so yeah. like shit on Instagram is just yeah. so crazy now. That, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's place, there's times and places for like example, RNT, like uh, RNT lunge would be like having a band around your knee, pulling it inward uh, medial and you're trying to laterally resist it for knee stability i'm cool with that like that makes sense but i think some people just overdo it you know mm -hmm. so for me I, I i like simple stuff give them a good upper lower split or upper lower push pull legs or a push pull legs split. i think those are the three that are going to work the best for hypertrophy um my guys one of them was on a push pull legs and the other one was on a upper lower rest push pull legs just because he can only train five days a week um which is one of my favorite splits but um i have a a, a kind of a array of rep ranges i don't like sticking to one rep range so we have a day where we're hitting some five six sevens eights you know like lower and then we have a day where we're hitting 10 12s and 15s uh in in certain movements there's not really any sense going below eight i mean like a bicep curl you know but um, but for the most part, I like to have kind of a array. So we're using a little bit of that, like daily undulated periodization, if you will, where we're doing some low range, some high range stuff. Um, not really any speed work for those guys because we're trying to maximize volume and the most productive things for muscle growth. Right. And then with their diet, I'm a really big fan of low fat dieting. And when I say low fat dieting, I don't mean like unhealthy levels or like very inflexible, but like for men, like 0 0.3 to 0 0.4 grams per pound, which is on the lower end. Usually that's around 20% of calories, um, but it maximizes carbohydrates. I've seen way better results with all my guys, with myself included, when I keep fats pretty low, low to the point where sex drive, hormones, brain function, all that stuff still feels fine. I No stress at all, but we can just crank carbs up as high as we can, keep uh, protein between one and 1.2 grams per pound, mm -hmm. um, crank carbs up. So they're just fueled. And, and I notice more lean gains, like guys will gain some solid size, but they don't put on a lot of fat. Yeah. Do you think you would contribute that to the fact that they are fueled up so they could drive more volume in the gym? Yeah, I think it's hard to say cause there's art different arguments, right? Like I think, you know, there's the fact that carbs are going to help recovery. So are you just recovering and rebuilding tissue better, managing mm -hmm. stress better? Because, when you eat carbs, you spike insulin. And when you spike insulin, you, you actually blunt cortisol. So that's like blunting the stress response. Or is it because when you eat more carbs, you can train harder. If you can train harder, you can lift more weight. If you can lift more weight, that's more volume, you know? Um, or is it because, uh, according to like de novo lipogenesis, basically the process of turning a carb into a stored body fat, that's hard for your body to do. You have to take glucose and make it into a lipid and then store it. Mm -hmm. But if you eat fats, you're eating a lipid. It's really easy to just store it, mm -hmm. right? So is it because it, your body, if, if you're in a surplus and it's got an even amount of fats and carbs, it's going to put the fat to fat. But if you only have enough fat to support hormonal health and everything, it's going to take all your extra calories from carbs and do something useful with it, which is going to be building muscle. So I think, I think it's a combination of things, you know? And I mean, you could even argue that, oh, it's just, intracellular water like you eat more carbs you store more water in the muscle and it's not really muscle but at the same time 
muscle is basically all water, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, so I think it depends. It's hard to say what it actually is, but this is like the whole thing with die breaks. I had uh, Dr. Bill Campbell on my podcast recently and he did a study on die breaks and it was cool because he came on and gave his talk about it. And then I had my uh, CSO, we have a chief science officer on my team who's also a researcher and he gave his critiques and he kind of didn't like it. Like it was kind of mm-hmm. like these both sides of like die breaks work, uh, die breaks don't really work. It's kind of, kind of bullshit. And I had some people ask me like, are you going to change your stance on it? And I was like, no, cause my experience shows that it works. Like mm-hmm. the people I use it with, it works. Part of me doesn't even care how, why it works. If it works, it works, it it works. works right? So like same thing with the carbs, like, can you get away with doing more fabulous carbs? Yeah. I mean, you probably could, but I'm going to use what keeps working with clients. You mm-hmm. know, my professor was yeah. Dr. Campbell. I went oh, to USF. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, he's a legend. You know, every time he talks, yeah. he kind of says things nonchalantly and you don't realize he's dropping knowledge bombs, you know? Yeah. Really smart guy. He, we got connected through, uh, do you know who Lauren Conlin is? I do not. So she went with him. She's a physique competitor and also a coach. She owns a uh, a company, a pretty big influencer on Instagram and stuff, but she, her and I are friends and she connected me with him. Cause I was looking for a new intern to start on my team. Um, so he like connects me with students coming through the program that mm-hmm. want a coaching company to work for. Um, but ever since then we've been in touch. Like he sent me the diet break study before it was published. Like he always kind of keeps me in the loop, which is really nice. And then That's we awesome. just did a podcast recently. I have a question. I asked him this question and I wanted your opinion on it. Um, I'm, I'm getting back into tracking my macros and stuff like that. And, um, I was just curious, like, let's say you have like uh, ground beef and it's 80, 20, right. And you, 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 you cook the meat and you drain cause you know, the fat's going to come out on the pan. Mm-hmm. Now, is it still 80, 20 if you drain all the fat? Knows, I, I, right? I mean, I would probably say technically no, but I also don't think you can track that. Right. So I would probably just leave it as 80, 20. That's, I mean, that's, that's what I kind of tell people, you know, it's like, because other other fats sneak in, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't you don't necessarily know. So I always tell people just just keep it as it is. But um, I think if we wanted to get technical and actually like <laughs> bring it to the lab, like bring the ground <laughs> beef in, it might be like eighty five. <laughs> you know? Groundbreaking study, ground <laughs> yeah. beef. <laughs> How to save fat on eighty twenty ground beef. <laughs> Yeah, you've been thinking about that for a week. Oh, man. Like I said, you know, we, we both, him and I were talking about body recomp and, you know, taking in high levels of protein can help with that process. And, you know, at, at, after crunching the numbers, I, I saw how high or I guess the difference of what I was eating to what I need to be eating. And it was substantial. And then I was just like, all right, I need to somehow get all this protein into my diet. And I guess that brings me, brings a question up is what would you suggest to a client that, is nowhere near their protein goals and they are just already full. Like, so what are some, some tips and tricks that you might give them? Yeah, I think that, uh, from a coaching standpoint, what I typically do is kind of inch it up. So like if somebody comes in and they're eating like half their body weight in protein, let's say they're 150 pounds, they're eating 75 grams. I want them eating 150. Ideally. I'm a big fan of going above body weight. In most cases, unless they have 30 plus pounds to lose. If you have 30 plus pounds to lose, there's no use in it. But if 
one of you guys, for example, I'd probably say like 1.2 grams per pound. You're going to be, you're basically just checking all your bases, getting a little bit extra. And we can rule out the fact that a lot of your protein is, if you have a high carb diet, for example, you're going to get a bunch of protein from potatoes and oats and vegetables and shit like that. That's not as bioavailable. It's not as rich in leucine and so on and so forth. So I'd rather have 1.2 grams so I can make sure I get at least 0.8 from bioavailable sources. Mm-hmm. Um, but for an individual not, I, maybe she's eating 75 and she needs 150. I'm going to say, hey, our goal is to get to 150 in mm-hmm. five weeks. This week, I want you to hit 100. You know, very simple. Add a protein shake. Pretty easy. Right? The next week, hey, I want you to add some egg whites to your eggs in the morning. Mm-hmm. A little bit more. So it's like goes from 75 to 100 to 125 to 150 eventually. If you go right to 150 – it works for some people. A lot of people will gain a couple pounds. It's just blow. It's just their body trying to process, digest. It's not going to store as fat. We, we know it's, it's damn near impossible to store protein as fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's not going to happen, but they will feel lethargic and bloated. And then that's an issue for a lot of people. Um, if they understand the process, then they won't have an issue with it. But, um, but yeah, I usually, I'm just like, Hey, let's just inch it up little by little. And for a lot of people, it's like out of shake. Cool. Next week, let me look at your diet. Oh, you're having three ounces of chicken. Mm-hmm. Make it five. You're having half a cup of egg whites. Make it a cup. Like it's just like super simple. And I think people overcomplicate it. So I'll just look through their diet and be like, hey, let's just add a little bit here and there. Yep. Yeah, we were talking with I think you've had Chris Barricat before on the podcast, right? Yeah, Chris Barricat. Yeah, that's the one. We had him, I think it was last week, and we started talking about body recomp. And I mean it's, it's an interesting topic. Yeah, he uh I actually uh I've been friends with him since like two thousand four. 15, we went to uh, the physique summit years ago. So we've stayed connected and I had surgery on my knee again (laughs) last year. Uh, So I tore it again, uh, my meniscus and um, yeah, rolling out of bed. Oh man. Wow. (laughs) Literally to get my daughter. She was crying. I was like (laughs) rolled over and just my wife's like, are you going to go? And I'm like, I can't. (laughs) Yeah. So, and actually when I went and got it checked out, turned out, he's like, Oh, this has been torn for like five years. Mm, You've just uh, been, so I had a torn meniscus and my knee would pop in and out. And I just was like, oh, whatever. Like I did Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, power lit. Like it didn't matter. I just kept, <laughs> kept going. But um, anyway, I, after I had surgery, I hit him up and I was like, yo, like I need to get back on track. Like I've been out of the game. I've been on crutches for three months. I'm off crutches in a week. Let's get this going. And we, we definitely saw a recomp. I think part of that was because I lost like two inches of mass on my leg from mm. just not training for yeah. – five months because they told me I needed surgery and I had all these seminars I was speaking at lined up. So I was basically like, Hey, can we push this out five weeks? And it was like, I did like all these seminars on crutches. Uh, it was crazy, but so he stepped on and we definitely saw recomp. I mean, I, I basically, I think I dropped like maybe two pounds, but like I got bigger for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and we did photo shoot. It was cool. <laughs> you got to take the pictures. You got to prove it. Got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned seminars and now that piqued my interest. What, what specific topics were you covering? Uh, it depends on the ones. So I, I held uh, last year, I held a thing every quarter that was like for uh, coaches and it was like, they would fly to Seattle. Um, I rent out a space at the Hyatt and we would have these like, I don't like using the word mastermind cause I hate the word mastermind, but it was a mastermind. I mean, it was a room. I would guide people through systems, methods, coach them for two full days, take them out to dinner, do like a whole weekend. That was really cool. Um, I did a bunch of seminars at a bunch of gyms in Washington here where I live. And it was just like weekend after weekend, like nutrition talks at different gyms, like CrossFit gyms and stuff like that. 
Um, and then I also speak at a thing called the Impact Collective, which is like a business coaching event. And I come and speak on social media, online business, stuff like that. So a wide variety of stuff. There was another one in there that I did that was uh, program design. So it was, it was training program design. My, my talk was called Program Design 101. And it was like all the fundamentals. So a bunch of different things. Walk me through the, the, the experience you had the first time getting in front of people and speaking. How did that feel? The first time was in 2014, I think. It was like before I even started my online business. I was still at the gym. So I decided to hold a nutrition seminar. And it was just for my clients. And I didn't think everybody would show up. But there was 45 people there, I think. And it was a little gym. So the gym was like packed because it was like a 4,000 square foot gym. And that's including Mm -hmm. office. And and I almost shit a brick. I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is crazy. And I did a talk on flexible dieting and it went really well, but I was nervous as hell. I mean, I've always been good like speaking and stuff, but it was, I was nervous, man. Um, but this last one I did before COVID hit, I was in Arizona and there was 135 people there, the Impact Collective. And that was like, whoa, like this mm-hmm. is nuts. Like, I think that was in December of 2019 because I spoke there again in San Diego right before COVID. Like it was like the month before it happened. Right. But at that one, there was 135 people, all coaches, fitness professionals, owners uh, of gyms and all my business, stuff like that. And I was definitely like, I mean, they had like the, the walk-up music. I had a uh, Nipsey Hussle playing. <laughs> like, it was crazy. I, I was definitely nervous for that one, man. It was, it was one of those things where I was like, for me, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking because I'd, like, I, I want it to be perfect. I don't want to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. But then I always have to tell myself like, these people are literally here to see me speak. Like I've, I've had multiple people come up like, Hey, you're the only reason I came. Cause I want to see how you did what you did. Wow. And so if they want to hear me speak, then why should I be nervous? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I got, you know, you get loose after a little bit, tell a couple jokes. I'm good. <laughs> did you build your gym right after you quit the working at the gym you were working at or no. how was the process? Like where were you worked out of? Yeah, I worked out of coffee shops, man. Coffee, coffee shops. shops. And I had an office at my house, but like, it was like a little guest room slash office and then, uh, in coffee shops and just local, I had like a gym membership, the local gym. I knew some, I knew like four or five different buddies owned CrossFit gyms. So I'd go to their gyms and film between classes and stuff like that. So I was kind of like a nomad around the state, just driving from (laughs) spot to spot to spot. And then we moved into a house. Uh, we bought our first house and I built a home garage gym that was like decked out. And so we started filming in there. I had a huge office in my house. So then I could kind of like be stationary at home. Um, and then we sold that house. Uh, we built a house out here where I live now. And that's when I, uh, started looking at, at warehouse space. And, uh, so no, it took a while. It took a solid few years before we decided to get something. And even then, honestly, like I was like, I told my assistant, I was like, Hey, you should start looking into places. Like, I think we'd want to headquarters soon. And, uh, I was just kind of hypothetically throwing it out there. And then the next week she was like, Oh, I found one. And it was like a great price. I was like, fuck it, let's do it. So I signed it and the warehouse wasn't even built yet. So they built it. And then I came in and we signed like September and the warehouse was done in December. So I moved in right before January to 20. And then we had to revamp the whole thing. So we, uh, it's, it's a huge, like we're in an industrial warehouse. Uh-huh. So like I had to paint the walls. We had to put all these big logos up, put new turf in, put these like wood panel walls on one side, uh, big quote on one side, rubber mats, all the gym equipment from rogue. Like this whole office had to be redesigned with the monitors desk. It was like a really big project, um, but really fun. But yeah, it took a while before we could do that. 
Yeah, I've seen pictures and it looks like a dope place, honestly. Thank you, man. It's uh, I I love it. It it, it was honestly the saving grace during quarantine because it was like I still have somewhere I can go, and it's not a public gym, so people there's no public access. It's literally just, it's just ours. So it's just for my team and, and the family. So like, which I love, like my in-laws can train whatever they want. My assistant's husband can train whatever he wants. My media guy can train whatever he wants. Like my wife, my daughter can run around. Um, my friends, I'm like, dude, nobody pays. You just mm-hmm. get to lift. Like it's super cool. That's dope. Yeah. So maybe like, so you mentioned you got a degree in, was that in exercise science or was that like specifically in nutrition? Uh, actually it was in personal training and health. So this is okay. it was actually a two year program at a community college. Um, Highland community college runs one of the only programs geared specifically towards personal trainers, mm-hmm. uh, and actually got an award from Livestrong uh, a couple years back. So it's like a really good program and we are connected to a lot of people, but it's cool because you know, like, and there's nothing wrong with exercise science degrees or anything like that, but my classes were like gym safety. So what do I need to do if, if somebody comes in for insurance at a gym? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, obviously I had human anatomy and biology and, and, but then I also had business of personal training. Like, how do I learn about sales? How do I learn about business? I had a functional movement screening class that was like designed off of Gray cook stuff. Um, it, it was really cool. So it was like way more geared towards like nutrition for clients, training for clients, business for building a online or mm-hmm. in-person training business, you know? And, uh, so I did that for two years. And then after that I did an array of stuff. Um, Precision Nutrition Level 1, Precision Nutrition Level 2, which are both year-long courses, uh, Mac Nutrition University, a year-long nutritionist course, NCI, Nutrition Coaching Institute, uh, Performance Enhancement Specialist, which is like a training thing. I just kind of like – I was just knocking out certifications because why not? You know, continuing ed. Yeah. Now, moving – like I'm curious when you got those certifications, it, you, you've done a lot of them, right? And it's on the same subject or at least a little bit of different spotlight on the same subject. Did you, do you feel like you're still learning more and more when you take these courses? I think like it, there's, it's twofold. Like sometimes, yes, hundred percent new things. Other times I'm learning different ways to interpret the same data. And I okay. think that's something that people don't take a lot of value for. I have taken multiple courses that taught me the exact same thing about nutrition, mm-hmm. or I've listened to the same people speak on the same subject four different times, but I take away something different every time. Cause I think, you know, if I hear five different, nutritionists speak on macro periodization. I'm going to learn five different ways to communicate that effectively to a client mm-hmm. and to program that effectively. And I think that's where the gold gold happens. You know, like people ask like, well, why'd you do PN1 and PN2 and MNU and NCI? They're all just nutrition certificates for nutrition coaches that tell you how to do nutrition coaching for online coaching. It's like, but they all teach it differently. Right. And so I can take so much different information from these people. It makes me a better teacher for my podcast, for my team, who I educate on a regular basis, uh, for my clients, everything. So, um, yeah, does that answer that question? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it, that's a, one of the big themes that we always come across when it, it doesn't matter what realm we're talking about when it comes to the fitness industry, communication is king. It doesn't matter how much, you know, it, they, the people need to understand what you're talking about. Yeah. I always say, uh, communication and connection. It's uh, science is great. I love science. It's important. I geek out on it. We have a scientist on staff, literally. <laughs> but if you can't communicate effectively and connect with a human being, mm-hmm. they're never going to follow your shit, yeah. right? That's why, like, I know when I was, I, I learned this early because I saw trainers that were crushing it, and they weren't the smartest people in the world. And then I saw scientists that I was like learning from that had no clients, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what's going on here? You know? Um, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't learn science because I'm knee deep in science all the time. Uh, 
again, that's why we brought on, uh, his name is Dr. Brandon Roberts and he does like monthly education for all the coaches. He's available 24 seven for the coaches. We do podcasts once a month. He does a research review for our website once a month now. Um, so we love that shit, but, but yeah, it's connection and communication are so valuable. Do you keep your team accountable? Like when it comes to like the, the latest research, do you guys get together and talk about it? Yeah. So we, I mean, we have a, a couple things. I mean, one, we have like a, a group thread, you know, we're always kind of chatting, but mm-hmm. he does a, a monthly presentation just exclusively for our coaches. So he's oh, like cool. educating them every month. And then he does, he's just available 24 seven to them when they have client questions. So am I, I actually, so I ran a mentorship program. That's why I used to do the masterminds where I had anywhere between 10 to 15 people that were coaches and they basically wanted business slash life coaching, right? Like, teach them time blocking, teach them meditation, teach them journaling, teach them how to market better, teach them how to have more effective coaching systems, like really just kind of the whole picture. Um, it, it took a lot of time and it was a lot of fun because I helped people build their business and I taught them a lot of the principles that I live my life by. But once the team started growing, I knew they needed me more and I actually just completely wiped that and I just kind of like slowly let clients fade away. I still have like a few that I work with, but I don't do that anymore because I mentor my coaches. So I'm on the phone with them every week. I take them through uh, these 90-day outcomes where we're setting goals, not just in coaching, but like financially, spiritually, physically uh, with their relationships like uh, and help push them in a different way. So it's kind of turned into this cool thing where I'm, I'm really trying to become a good leader and coach them. Um, and if there's one thing I've studied more than anything lately, it's that it's like, how do I be the best leader possible? Right. Right. My final question for you. And it was back when you talked about how your back was against the wall and you quit your job. Um, that's a lot of stress and it it seemed like you had a plan, but it wasn't like a rock solid, like step one, step two, step three. And that once again can lead to more stress. I was curious how you stayed sane during that time period. Yeah. Um, you know what? Like, I I think there's a few things. I I do think it's just part of who I am. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I just like jump. I just leap. I don't think about it. You know, I think, but I think there's value in that. I think that like, I've always been really good at, I'm one of those people that I'm like, well, why are you stressing? I mean, what's stress going to do? And people are like, it stresses me out. That's easier said than done. What are you talking about? It's like, (laughs) yeah, but whatever, you know, it's just how I'm, I am. I'm just like, okay, if I stress about this, what is that going to help me achieve? Nothing. It, it doesn't serve me. So I'm always kind of looking, I mean, for a cheesy Sam, I'm looking at the bright side, right? And I'm just kind of always trying to course correct and be like, what can I do to improve? Like, well, why is this a positive? What's the lesson behind what's going on right now? And I think that's been the big secret, man. Like, do I ever get stressed? Of course. Um, I had, I've had multiple panic attacks and anxiety attacks when I was building the business. And I've just been, I've been burnt out because I had too many clients and I didn't know how to get people on board to be on my team. Mm -hmm. And then I figured that out and then the team grew and then I didn't know how to manage that. So there's been tons of times where anxiety went up, stress went up and and I couldn't handle it. But for me, I always kind of gravitate back towards the principles and the the practices that kind of ground me, right? Like meditation every day journaling, uh, movement, like training, uh, my nutrition. Um, am I getting enough sleep? People underrate that, you know, like there was plenty of time where I was not getting enough sleep. Um, am I spending time with my wife, just us, no phone, like, you know what I mean? So for me, whenever I do get stressed about business stuff, I'm like, switch gears. Like, what are the things that keep me grounded, keep me centered, keep me avoiding that stress? Um, and then it kind of, kind of goes away. That was a beautiful mic drop. I think that's what we're going to leave it off on, man. Uh, thank you for coming on. Like yeah. This has been very enlightening for me, at least. I don't know about you. Yeah.
I really yeah, enjoyed I it. Um, we always ask where people can find you, but I always end up uh, linking it to the show notes. So I'll link your profile to the show notes and your website so people can make it easier for people to find you. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Everything is uh, at tailoredcoachingmethod.com. We put a lot of content out. So everything's there. You can find me there and, and on Instagram and all that. Sweet. Thank you for being on. Yeah, man. Thank you.